Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation, deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. I want to say good morning to everyone who's coming in. I see that you're all saying hello in the chat box. That's wonderful. My name is uh, Reverend Justin Schroeder. I'm one of the ministers at First Universalist Church. I'm really delighted you're joining us. If you haven't yet had a chance or you're just coming in and hearing my voice, you're welcome to say hello in the chat box and let us know where you're coming in from. And this morning in our worship service, we're introducing our holiday giving campaign and recipient. This is a program that we've been doing for a number of years now, a time when we collectively reimagine the deeper meaning of the holidays. And when we invite you, if you are able, if you are willing, if this resonates with you, uh, we invite the congregation as they're able to reduce their holiday spending. And then together we make a collective gift to the hol our holiday giving recipient. So you'll hear more about that in the service today. And I want to acknowledge just on the front end that we all come into the holidays with really different experiences. We come into the holidays from different places with different lived experiences. And so if the holidays are feeling particularly challenging for you this year, whether that's because of financial reason, reasons or emotional reasons or spiritual reasons, whatever it might be, if it's a challenging time and this holiday giving project feels like the last thing that you're able to consider, we get it. We're here for you. We invite you to please reach out to us to let us know how we can support you in what is a challenging time. So once again, welcome. I'm really glad you're all here. I miss seeing you in person. I miss that deeply, but I love that we can gather virtually. So welcome once again to each and every one of you. I have a story for you today, and it's an old Yiddish folktale. And it goes like this. There once was a man who wished his small and noisy house were larger and more peaceful. So he went to the wise woman of the village and he told her of his problem and she agreed to come and have a look at his house. When she arrived, she took a good look around. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. chickens? She asked. Chickens? Said the man. Why, yes, I have some chickens in the yard. Good, good. Uh, bring them in, said the wise woman. Bring them in the house. Well, the man thought this was a strange idea, but he did as the wise woman said. Hmm. Hmm. Good, 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 good. Um, and have you any sheep? Yes, I have some sheep. Bring them in the house. And so he brought the sheep into the house. Mmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm, mm. How about a cow? Yes, he had a cow. And it came into the house too. 
Ah, nearly, nearly. Mm, mm -hmm. A horse? Well, the man had to admit, he had two. In they came. Mm. The house was full to bursting with animals and they made such a loud ruckus. Before long, the man said, stop, stop, I cannot take this anymore. It's far too loud in here. It's so crowded, I can barely move. And it's so loud, I can't even think. Well, take the animals outside, said the wise woman. And so he did. Once he'd finished putting all the animals back in their pens and back in their yards, he went back into the house. Mm. Without the animals, it was so spacious and so peaceful. I hope you will find a little bit of spaciousness and peace in the time that we are together. And let's begin creating that together with this beautiful music from Amy K. Bryant and Franco Holder. So friends, I wanna share just a little bit about uh, Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism. They were an organization formed in the summer of 2015. And they were formed with the goal of expanding the power and capacity of Black Unitarian Universalists within our faith, of providing support and information and resources for Black Unitarian Universalists and they were formed with the goal of justice-making and liberation through our faith. Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism embodies Unitarian Universalism in ways that inspire me. Last year, the holiday giving team chose Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism, or BLUE, as our holiday giving recipient, and we made a five-year commitment to BLUE as our holiday giving recipient. This is year two of that five-year commitment. And so I want to invite Lena K. Gardner, the executive director of Blue, to share an update with us 
about what Blue is working on now. A little video message from Lena. And following Lena's video message, we'll have a brief slideshow with some pictures and images from last year's holiday giving effort, including pictures of this value tree that we created with some music by Franco Holder. Let's watch these videos now. Hi everyone, I'm here to just give you a little update about BLUE, the Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism. My name is Lena Catherine Gardner. I am the Executive Director. And for those of you who don't know, I do live here in Minnesota. Um, the updates that I have for you are really centered around two things that we're really excited about right now. The first is that we have entered into phase one of our Blue Northside Housing Cooperative. Um, this is an initiative to build between 30 and 34 uh, units of housing on eight different lots of land that are all located in North Minneapolis. They are not connected to each other. They are all individual lots of land. And so according to the size of each of those lots, we will be putting hopefully up a three, four or five plex on those properties. We've signed with a amazing Afro-Brazilian architect. Her name is Damaris Hollingsworth, and um, she runs her firm Designed by Mello. And we are in the early phases of the project right now, um, doing what's called site fittings and feasibility. So that means working with the city to figure out what would be appropriate for which lot according to the size and requirements um, on that lot. It's really exciting to be um, embarking on this journey. We are hopeful that we will um, be able to complete it in about two years. Um, and the really exciting piece of the project is that it's going to be both a housing cooperative and a land trust so that it will be permanently affordable. We don't have lots of details right now about the financing structure and what that looks like, but we really hope to get um, black and indigenous single moms um, housed in these units. And we really hope that it helps both build community and build people's individuals wealth. So that is the most uh, up-to-date um, information I have for you regarding our Blue Northside Housing Cooperative. The other really exciting project that I wanna talk to you about is called Blue Havens. Since Blue started, Black Unitarian Universalists from all over the country have been asking us to be able to have in-person gatherings um, and to be supported by a faith community. And that is happening now. It took us some years to get ourselves established and we are excited to announce today um, that Blue Havens are launched in Akron, Ohio, Asheville, North Carolina, Chicago, Dayton, Ohio, Philadelphia, Richmond, Rockville, and Topeka, Kansas. We could not be more excited about the first Blue Havens. A Haven is a small group created by and for Black Unitarian Universalists and Black folks who may not be UU, but who share our values. Blue Havens are places for Black folks to connect socially and to engage in organizing efforts locally. We are so excited about this. We're gonna keep going forward. We're going to keep expanding Blue Havens um, as we can during a pandemic, during lots of social and political questions, um, but we continue forward and we're so grateful for your support. And um, 
yeah, it's really exciting. And of course, we still offer monthly worship two times a month um, on, I think it's the first Thursday and the third Sunday. The Sunday worship is in the late afternoons and the Thursday worship is in the evenings. You can visit our website or our Facebook page at Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism to get more information about those things. Um, and our worship spaces are sacred black space, but you are invited, if you are not black, to invite other black folks in your life um, to worship with us on Zoom. It's always been digital. Um, and I guess the very last thing, I there's one more thing. We launched um, just a few months ago our blueberries um, jams, which are <laughs> actually not food, contrary to what they sound like but they are our youth programming and they happen on Saturdays. Um, and you can visit our Facebook page again or our website for more information about when we have our Blueberry Saturday Jams. Um, right now they're mostly for older school age kids, um, but it's a really exciting programming and we're growing it. And um, everybody is welcome there if you're a, um, for black children, if you're a caregiver or parent of a black child. Um, even if you're not black, you are welcome to bring your black child there. So that's what I have for you. Thank you so much. Uh, love you all. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Lena. And it was really good to see some of those pictures from last year. As you may have noticed in some of those photos, the theme uh, of the holiday giving campaign is reimagining joy and justice. And so as a part of the service this morning, we've created just a couple of very short videos of holiday giving team members sharing reflections and stories about the work of reimagining joy and justice and how we can do this through supporting Blue, but also how it lives in our own lives or might live in our own lives. So first you'll hear from the Lamboglia family who reimagined how they might do gift giving during the holidays as a larger extended family and kind of reflected on what brings them joy. And then following that, you'll hear brief, briefly from Isabel Quast, my co-chair on the holiday giving team about why we've chosen Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism and what it means to support Black leaders. Let's watch those videos now. Hi, this is Anna. This is my mom, my dad, and Poppy. We are at the Bowie House. That's right. We are the Lamboglias. Last year, we were part of the holiday giving team, and we were able to think about ways we could get joy from the holiday season for us and for others. So we decided to eliminate the gifts that the grown-ups got within our family. Because when the grown-ups got together and opened their gift cards, it wasn't very exciting. It did not bring us joy. What are some things that we could do this year? We could decorate a tree and make cookies. That's right. Uh-huh, and we could put the cookies and the, we could put the cookies into a bag that has a bunch of stuff that they might need. Kind of like a care package, Lucia? Yeah. 
And some cards. Oh yeah, you can make a card? Mm-hmm. Ah. What can we do with that, Sienna? Anna. What? Now it's the skateboarding. You can do skateboarding <laughs> again? Yeah. yeah. That would be fun. But we can deliver them, you know, those those care packages as gifts for families that might need something for the holiday. Or we can also place a, a phone call to people that might be a little lonely during this holiday, especially given COVID. So we hope you can find something that brings your family joy and brings joy to others this holiday season. That's right. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Good morning. My name is Isabel Quast and I am co-chairing the holiday planning committee with Justin this year. When our committee first started meeting in May of 2019, we quickly landed on three objectives we are hoping to accomplish. First, that our group itself would be intergenerational. So we included families and individuals from the congregation to be part of our committee. Second, any organization we partner with would be actively working towards racial justice. And third, that this organization would have similar values to ours so we could continue to ground ourselves in our UU faith. After much deliberation, we partnered with Blue, Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism. We also committed to a five-year partnership with Blue for our holiday giving campaign. Now, Blue is a national organization and our own congregation's Lena Gardner is the executive director. As a national organization, Blue is working towards racial justice and helping black folks connect and reconnect to their UU faith. However, one of their biggest objectives and projects is currently taking place in our own backyard. They purchase multiple lots in North Minneapolis and are building from literally the ground up a black owned housing cooperative with affordable housing options. This project is moving forward, which is very exciting. Um, they have chosen a lead architect by the name of Demarius Hollingsworth. She is a principal architect at Designs by Mello. So a proposal has been drawn up, uh, permits are being applied for, and they're hoping to break ground on this project shortly. So that's very exciting. But I do want to make clear that we are supporting Blue holistically and in their entirety, understanding that the most integral part of supporting Black leaders is trusting black leaders and trusting that our shared UU values will ground us with the same vision of racial justice. But more than that, understanding that the work in Covenant Blue has already implemented radically embodies and lives out our UU values. To support black leadership, to support Blue, and to make this a successful long-term partnership, we must place our trust in Blue. As we move into the holiday season, we hope this partnership with Blue will help us all reimagine what justice looks like in our own lives and our racial justice work. That finding your community and working towards a shared vision to a better world feels good. That there is joy in seeking justice. So when you are choosing charities and organizations to partner with and support this holiday season, we hope you continue to support our partnership with Blue and the work that they're doing here in our community and around the country. Thanks. Oh, I really am grateful for those videos from the Lamboglia family and from Isabel Quast. It's good to hear their voice and engagement with this holiday giving project. So as COVID 
19 cases rise, and it looks like we may be headed toward another lockdown. I am remembering the first global lockdown when planes stopped flying, when most cars stayed parked and everything stopped or slowed down, most things. In that first lockdown, I found myself, after that initial wave of worry and fear, I found myself wrestling with a question. What gets unlocked during lockdown? And it was a strange question. It was a strange time. It feels like lifetimes ago in some ways because I was holding multiple realities. On the one hand, as we were in lockdown, people around the world were dying. We had friends in New York, and as we talked with them, we learned that the sounds of ambulances and the sounds of sirens was just a constant in those early weeks. It was a traumatic and trying time. So there was that piece of the equation. And at the same time in lockdown, this question of what gets unlocked during lockdown kept playing in my head. What gets unlocked? What might be opened up when everything gets shut down? What might be reimagined, seen anew? What new habits and patterns might emerge from lockdown? And we're living into some of that right now. These were the questions along with some of the grief and fear that I was carrying so many months ago. And I know, and I wanna say on the front end here that I know that these questions land differently for different people, depending on gender and racial identity, depending on the ability to work from home or not, and so much more. If you're an essential worker, you probably don't have time to hold these questions or you hold them in a different way. If you're a parent with young children, getting through the day managing the details, picking up in some ways a second or a third or a fourth shift, if you will, that is front and center in your mind. If you've been laid off of work, your singular focus might be survival, getting through this time. And so I wanna say, if you are in one of these places, if this is, if these are struggles that you're experiencing, if this is support um, that you are needing, here's how the church is prepared to respond. We have an emergency fund that is available to help with housing, to help with food, to help with medical bills, whatever it is, we have a fund available that many, many, many congregants have supported and those resources are there. And our ministers and our care companions are available as well for emotional and spiritual support. We can do hard things together. We will do hard things together as a faith community. And so I share that this morning because it's important for all of us to remember, to be reminded that we aren't all having the same experience right now. And so I want to be mindful about how we think about this. At the same time, I believe that a global disruption like this forces us as it reveals systemic failures in so many places. And it also reveals and uncovers places to do better, opportunities to change those systems. A global pandemic like this forces us to ask individually and collectively, I believe, what really matters. Makes us ask what's important here. Maybe shifts the priority list. What seems so important and relevant is suddenly no longer even on the list. We ask ourselves what must change? How can things be different? And part of what the pandemic has made clear to many of us is that it is not possible to return to normal. Normal was really an illusion. It was a dream. It was a myth. 
Normal was dangerous and harmful. Normal was a society that was failing millions of people and destroying the planet around us. So what if, as writer and activist Arundhati Roy asks and writes, what if rather than go back to a normal that doesn't work, what if the pandemic is this portal, a doorway to a new space, a new way of being, a new relationship with the earth and with one another? What if during this time of containment and lockdown and grief too, and anguish as well, what if in that space we are catching a glimpse of a new world, of how things might be? I wonder if you can remember back to early spring. It feels like several lifetimes ago, back in early spring in that first hard lockdown, when smog cleared over cities that had been blanketed with soot and pollution for years when offices were abandoned, when commutes ended, when animals reclaimed parts of the ocean and land and humans, when, when animals reclaimed, excuse me, parts of the ocean and land that humans had previously occupied and overrun. Something remarkable emerged in that time. One article I read referred to this time as the anthropause, or the pausing of human activity. Anthropause, of course, being a play on the Anthropocene, this geological era that we are in right now. Anthropause, a pausing of human activity, of human consumption, a pausing so the planet could breathe again. A pausing so that the really deep and true and unavoidable interconnectedness of our lives and our living could become more evident. And now again, I don't mean to deny or to ignore the very real costs of the pandemic and the loved ones lost, the illness that so many are experiencing, the jobs lost or the impact of this time on mental health and well-being. I don't want to deny the ache that so many of us feel because of postponed family gatherings or celebrations or memorial services. I don't want to deny or diminish the impact that we experience with very limited physical contact with loved ones and family outside of our bubble. It's complicated, it's a complicated time. But the pandemic is the story we're in. It is the pause place we're in. And the pause can be a place where wisdom resides. Spiritual practices, spiritual practices across all religions and cultures and times, they are in essence about the pause, about the emptying, the noticing, the attending, the going slow so that we can learn to respond rather than react so that we can see with new eyes and hear with new ears that which is in front of us or that which is beginning or desiring or yearning to emerge. And in so many ways right now, hard as it is, we are still in something of the anthropause right now. And I wonder, 
What are you noticing in the anthropause? What are you reimagining in your life and in our common life? And maybe if it's a challenging time, you're just noticing that the ground you're on is shaky and crumbling, and that's what you're noticing. It's always felt that way, and it feels even more so now. That may be what you're noticing. Because again, we're not all having the same experience in this moment. But I wonder if we might share with one another in the chat, just briefly, what are some of the things you're noticing in this time? And I would invite you as you reflect on this, there may be things that jump to mind immediately, noticings or reflections you've had in this time to share those in the chat box. What are you noticing in this time of anthro pause? What new insights? What new observations or knowings have been unlocked in you? What is clearer than ever? What, what are you noticing? Noticing our pets differently, our clothes. Yeah, I notice that too. So many clothes sometimes. For friends and family, noticing our resilience and strength. Paying more attention to nature, seasons, recognizing the changing of the seasons. Oof, the strength and fragility of relationships. I have been deeper and, and closer with some friends, and I've also had friendships end in this time. Mm, new friends as well as old ones. Community. Noticing our house plants. How simple life can be. The reaching out we do to check on one another. Less shopping, yes, less shopping. A supportive environment at work. Mm. Deeper relationships with people, less stuff. Mm. Noticing how destructive it might be to build a community in a city around cars. Reading more books. Noticing how important people are to us regular walks, walking, being in our body, noticing our body and breath and movement. The lifelines that family and church and community can be. Mm, the tension of this time, enjoying, I think if you're extrovert, maybe there's particular tension of this time, but that dance between alone and community. Neighbors being friendly, so much noticing. And children, too, if you're with us in this space with your adults, and if you haven't already, what are you noticing in this time? Maybe it's about distance learning, or maybe you're homeschooling, or maybe you're helping out in the house in different ways. We're instituting different rules for our boys in our house. Different sleep patterns, finding a different sleep pattern. So much noticing. Hmm. Noticing the love of family. My gosh. I was, wasn't sure if there'd be so much noticing and I'm delighted that there is. Power of music. Oh, noticing the power of imagination and creativity. And I've been noticing too, just the, the way things have been unveiled in my own thinking and what I thought was set and certain and true, like an office space or a commute or the ability to work from home or not, all of that feels up in the air and hard things have been unveiled too. Noticing how much I don't need. Yes, so much noticing. 
one of the things you can keep typing, I'm gonna just reflect and keep reflecting as, as you type. One of the things I noticed when I thought back to early spring, I was so struck, I was so struck that for many, many white folks, the murder of George Floyd unlocked these slumbering hearts and conscience around the country. In the weeks following that murder, there were estimates that 15 to, I think it was 25 million people participated in demonstrations across the, across the country, making it the largest movement in United States history. So there was this thing that got unlocked, something that white Americans saw. And I would say people of color are leery that white America will go back to sleep after such an awakening moment. This anthropause has unveiled the existing disparities among us. And in some cases it has exacerbated and really highlighted them. But I think back to the story that Lauren shared earlier, the story about uh, the man wanting some help, some, some peace and some quiet and filling up and the woman saying, fill up your house with chickens and, and lambs and a cow. And I wonder about that story, these new insights that have emerged for us, these things that we've caught a glimpse of, that we've experienced, we've felt in our bodies that we just don't wanna let go of. One of those things for me is I'm noticing that I am valuing people 100% more than I'm valuing things. And that has made me curious about how I will approach holiday giving this year. And it's time for just a really honest confession with you all, a confession that in years past, when we've talked about holiday giving at church, when we've invited families to consider reducing their spending and consumption, to consider cutting their holiday spending in half and to give what they save to our holiday giving recipient, the confession is this, I've only half-heartedly followed my own advice. That's just true because there are patterns and habits around the holidays that have existed for a long time. Now, I know this isn't the case for all of you. I know some of you, when we put out this invitation to think about the holidays in new ways, you really took it seriously. Maybe you really did take inventory of all of your holiday spending, the food and the wrappings and the gifts and the travel and all those things and cut that in half. I kind of did that in a half-hearted way. I did it, but not super seriously. And it's complicated, right? Like our families and extended families, it's complicated. So I'm grateful we get to practice this new orientation to the holidays every year because it really does take practice for something to become a habit. In my immediate family, we do have this secret um, Santa gift exchange, randomly pulling names out of a hat and then buying a gift for one person. But in my larger extended family, there's less of a shared agreement about fewer gifts and aunts and uncles and grandparents love to splurge on the kids, which I totally understand. And I had a moment, I wanna share this with you. I had a moment in the context of holidays and stuff when I returned from sabbatical and I was back in our home after our renter had left. And I remember standing in front of all of the boxes and uh, stuff that we had packed up and put in one room, just full of boxes and stuff. Much of it was toys for the kids in these boxes. And I remember just standing there thinking, this is so much stuff. This is so much stuff. 
And I had just come back from an experience where we were essentially living out of suitcases for six months and it had worked fine. It had been a blessing and rich and delightful. And my brain couldn't compute everything that was in front of me in these boxes. So this holiday season, things feel different to me. The anthropause has shaped me. The feeling of we can't return to normal is stronger than it's ever been. And the recognition that holiday consumption and the extraction and production and transportation and waste is intimately tied to environmental justice and human justice, that understanding is stronger than ever. The anthropause has helped me deeply see that I want a more joyful and a more just world. So I'm coming at this holiday giving thing anew, rethinking everything. And because of the pandemic, this is one of the things that popped into my mind, because of the pandemic, we're not going to be doing our regular uh, air travel over the holiday season, not flying on an airplane. So that is four tickets that we're not spending money on. So I'm curious as I dive into this, what else will unfold? Curious about what new patterns might start to live in my life, in our lives. And curious about what kind of collective gift we'll be able to make to Black Lives and Unitarian Universalism on December 13th, when we hold a very special offering that Sunday and bring all of those holiday gifts to share with Blue. So friends, holding these questions and these realities in this difficult time, in this pause time, in this pause place of grief and worry and anxiety and possibility, that feels good and right to hold those questions to know that our consumption patterns can change, our larger societal patterns can change. We can joyfully redirect our spending in order to create more justice in the world. In this past year, your learnings may be different than mine, and I suspect they probably are in many ways. But nonetheless, my holiday wish for you in this upended, uncertain time we're in is that you authentically and deeply honor what you know and what you have learned this year. So that in this pandemic holiday season, your heart experiences some measure of joy as you live in alignment with your deepest knowing. May it be so. And amen. be known by the company we keep by the ones who circle around to tend these fires we shall be known by the ones who sow and reap the seeds of change alive from deep within the earth thanks for listening if you enjoyed this podcast Please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F I R S T U N I V, to 73256 to make your gift. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. To lead in love, in this great turning, we shall learn to lead in love.